Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. For those challenging the status quo in love sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And today we're speaking with Shayla Lang about how to find a sex worker. Ms. Shayla is a pro-dom kink educator and the owner of Shayla, a commercial dungeon and film studio in Brooklyn, New York. I first spoke with Ms. Shayla on IG Live many, many moons ago and then wrote a follow-up blog post about how to be a supportive partner to a sex worker which turned out to be the most popular blog on our site and ranks number one on Google when you search for the topic. We've been wanting to do an episode on how to find and work with a sex worker for ages. And one of the reasons why I was really keen on exploring this topic is because every now and then I'll work with a couple and I will suggest to them considering working with a sex worker because it just feels like what they're looking for does not require an entire relationship reshuffle, redesign, reconfiguration. It's often because one party wants to explore something very specific, be it a certain kink or fetish, or there is a very distinct libido mismatch. And really what they're looking for is catering for a specific desire, catering for a specific experience. And the way that they want to solve for that is trying to open up an otherwise long-term monogamous and kind of functioning in every other way relationship. And it just feels like a, a massive shift for something that can actually be taken care of by a pro. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions about sex workers. And with Miss Shayla, we covered a bunch of those. Once you kind of educate yourself and understand how sex work works and sort of get a handle on some of the nuances, that you realize it can actually be a really good option. I think one of the main draws for working or a sex worker is that you're kind of dealing with a pro, especially if you want to explore something that is, you know, different or maybe considered to be, and I'm throwing air quotes here, like, taboo or something a little risky or or anything that is a little bit more complicated than your average sex, then you're really dealing with a pro who knows what they're doing. And as Ms. Shayla goes into this in the interview is that people who do sex work and want to do something like explore a kink, they really, really want to explore that kink. It's actually what they like doing. So you're not putting somebody in an awkward situation. You're dealing with a pro who wants to do the thing that you want to do and and probably knows how to do it way better than you. So that's definitely one of the draws. And I think the other piece that, especially in the context of a relationship, is that sex workers by design know how to have really, really good boundaries. Those who really do it well and those who are professionals at this, they can have an ongoing relationship, ongoing long-term relationship with somebody and maintain very, very solid, very clear boundaries along the way because they know that it's a professional relationship. 
unlike maybe a more of a casual relationship that you might nurture that comes from Tinder or meeting somebody at a bar, over time, relationships escalate, relationships evolve, boundaries might get dropped or, or become blurry, emotions might get involved and people might get more and more tangled up, which might cause complications down the line. Whatever that might happen, you're just not going to have any of that with a professional sex worker. They will know how to have boundaries. There is still potential to have a wonderful, intimate, fun, connected relationship with super duper clear boundaries. It's interesting because I think that when I hear some folks describe what they want out of an open relationship and and engaging with other folks, they'll say, you know, ideally somebody who I can have fun with, we have great sexual chemistry, but they know that like they are doing their own thing. I'm doing my own thing. It doesn't impact my life. Like we can see each other whenever we want to. There's not a lot of rules. There's not a lot of expectations. There's not. And I'm like, yes, there's either that unicorn person who also just wants to have fun and have sex with you and have their own life and actually doesn't care if you text them, doesn't care if you, you know, or <laughs> you could pay someone to do that work. Cause that's actually what it sounds like that you want. It's almost like saying like, you know, I would love to be with somebody who will cook me the exact dish that I want, but like different kinds of choices under a different type of food. And I would love them to like set it up real nice for me. And you're like, oh, you want to go to a restaurant? And they're like, no, 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 no. It's not that I want to go to a restaurant. I want like someone who I don't have to pay, who just like will do those <laughs> yeah, things. And you're like, oh yeah, no, no. It's not like you want to go to a restaurant. That's what this all sounds like to me as you're describing this. No, exactly. I think that's an excellent analogy. I think there are some certain things that pros are going to do better. And especially if we are after a very specific experience, like, you know, specific food cooked in a certain way, served in a certain way, at a certain place, at a certain time. Yeah, you can you can definitely have that with sex work. You just pay for it like you would pay any other professional service. So sex work is not puppy dogs and rainbows. We know that. What we mean by that is not that the individual experience, but just it's a murky landscape, right? We do know there's trafficking that happens. We do know there's coercion that happens. It's not as kind of, uh, you know, straight up, clean industry because it is illegal and therefore it, it, it exists. It's, you know, the adage is it's the oldest profession. So it's been around since beginning of professions, but because it's illegal in, uh, in this country, except Nevada, that it is pushed underground. And because of that, there's a lot of darkness within the industry. And really the aim of the game is to find someone, to connect with someone, to work with someone who is really choosing to um, do that work, who's happy doing their work, and he feels safe doing that work. And that could be kind of tricky. Um, and I think some of the things that we covered with Ms. Shayla is on how to navigate that. Online has been one of the safest places and the most surest places you can connect with somebody who is not trafficked and who's not hating their job. However, there are a couple of bills that was passed in the Congress back in 2018 that started to make that really, really difficult. Yeah. And I get it. There's a lot of stigma around it. There's a lot of insecurity that is wrapped up in it. And we, we certainly explore that in the conversation with Ms. Shayla. One of the things that we reference is SESTA Foster, which is the acronym for two bills that were passed in, in 2018. So SESTA stands for Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act and FOSTA stands for Fight Online Trafficking Act. And essentially these two bills were created to stop online sex trafficking. But what it has ended up doing is it has held the platform 
responsible for the content that is on it. So historically, the platforms were not responsible for what was posted. So if, you know, if we posted a naked picture of ourselves and said, we're available for sex work, then the police would come and and deal with us directly. But now it is up to the platform to censor, curtail, block, assess those types of posts. And they do it often in a very heavy handed way. And so that's where you see a lot of shadow banning or we did a a post that had some, a woman with a backless dress that got blocked and that couldn't be shown. Right. And so you see a lot of like heavy handedness there, but this has also really had an impact on whether or not folks who do this work feel safe because they no longer can rely on posting in platforms that allow for visibility in a way that felt safe. And so we dig into that with Miss Shayla, but just recognizing that even if we can get over the hurdles of the stigma of engaging a sex worker, even if you get to that point, finding one can be really difficult right now in our present kind of media landscape. And so that's what we dig into with Miss Shayla and, and a lot more, including water play and kink neurology. And we go down a lot of different paths. So we hope that you enjoy the interview. Hi, Shayla. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. I want to start by a really, really simple question. Uh, what are the different types of sex work? Because people, when they think of sex work, uh, most people think about pretty women. And that's about it. (laughs) Um, So what I know is that there's such a huge range to sex work. And I'm curious to, if you can give us a little bit more details on what sex work is and what it can look like. So sex workers come in all flavors, essentially. And the popularity of those kind of depends on the region. For example, you may have something as in your area, you may only have people who do phone sex or cam sex or whatever, or that might be restricted in your country. Um, and then you have kind of the no touching, which would be the phone or the cam or whatever, or even texting. You can sext now. You can pay a sex worker to oh, sext yeah? with you, which is a really yeah. fun service. That is cool. All the way to full contact penetrative sex between two people. Um, and so that those are called full service sex workers and which is the kind of sex worker that Julia Roberts was in pretty woman. Mm -hmm. And so, and you have a lot of things in between, you have strippers, you have dominatrixes, you have burlesque performers like to say that they're sex workers, but I, Mm. that's, that's a hot topic. Um, they can be (laughs) sex workers, but I don't really Mm. call them sex workers. Um, but basically anyone who is paid to fulfill the sexual need of another person. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a phone sex worker or a dominatrix or whatever, there's kind of a full spectrum of, Mm -hmm. I would argue that the bikini baristas like you see in Portland or Seattle are borderline sex workers and sometimes Mm. are active sex workers because they deal with the harassment and, you know, potentially the sexual needs of other people. For sure. Yeah. There's tons of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what I realize now that, of course, sex work and sex workers correlate to the broad range of sexual desires humanity has. So for every every different sexual desire, every every different sexual need, there's somebody who's servicing that. Right. So um, that's why like sex work is so broad and so wide, because so is our sexual desires. Yeah, it's great. People also have like different boundaries. And so someone who might be really into exhibitionism, but be in like a 
you know, committed, closed, monogamous relationship might feel really comfortable doing like webcam work or phone sex work to kind of get that out there while still respecting the needs and limits of their own partner. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. I think what I love about that definition too is number one, the simplicity of it. But number two, I think to your point, Effie, is that so many of us have such shame around our sexuality or sexual desires. And to know that we could probably imagine whatever you imagine, there is somebody who is a good match for you (laughs) to either support that, to educate you in that, to like something to help normalize some of these, like, you know, the sexual shame that we have. And so that somehow just feels comforting to me that like someone out there in the world is my match of like, (laughs) Oh, you thought that was weird. I totally don't think that's weird. Let's go do that. (laughs) That's what I really love about the work that I'm currently doing. Because when I was a stripper, obviously, like nobody wants to walk into a strip club and sit down next to a beautiful woman who's like, oh, my day is terrible because their day is probably terrible and they're here to have a good time. And it's the same in the kink world. Like as a stripper, I was enthusiastic about everything because I had to be. But in the kink world, now that I found my niche, I found the things that I love, love doing all the weird bizarre things that I truly love doing. And so when someone reaches out to me and says, Hey, I want to do this like weird and bizarre thing. And I have a lot of shame surrounding it, or I'm really nervous or whatever. I'm able to help them unpack this thing because Mm -hmm. I love the thing and I've already done the work of unpacking the shame around it. And so we can do this together and I can assist and kind of help them ease into it a little easier, a little softer, rather than letting them deal with their own shame, which may sort of manifest in not so great ways. Yeah. Because I think to your point, Effie, we we think about sex work as having an opportunity for a sexual release. But what I hear you also saying is there's an emotional release that happens with, with this experience too. And an unpacking of those things with somebody else can, can just make you feel better, feel more mm. rooted in yourself. That's the goal. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Actually, this makes me think, um, Shayla, so as we said, we all have different desires and needs and some weird and wonderful ones. How can one best match their desires and needs with the right type of sex work? How do you how do you figure out who you reach out to for what you're looking for? I think it really starts with some kind of work about and some inventory about what you truly want. If it's an emotional connection, you're going to be doing a little bit more work or exploring different avenues. If it's a physical connection, if it's, you know, certain services or certain things, then it's not as much work because most of the time you can kind of negotiate that in a few emails or a few phone calls. Oftentimes I get clients who are looking, who tell me they're looking for one thing, but are actively looking for something else and are disappointed that I'm not a mind reader. And so Mm. going in with your, like knowing exactly what you want and being very, very clear about what your needs are and what you actually want and what you're actually looking for is so, so, so important because we're not mind readers and we're good at saying no to things that we don't want to do. And, but we also, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all kind of just like really sexy customer service workers. Like my goal is never for a client to have a bad time. And if I'm not a good fit, I will send him to one of my friends. So doing that work and then really getting to the also like, so once you've done that inventory on your needs and your desires and really know what you want, the next step is to essentially start looking. Um, You know, you can, there's, you know, tons of different places to figure that out. So if you're looking for, for example, a webcam worker who services a certain fetish, you can essentially just type in, you Google 
Chatterbait is a popular one in the US, or you're looking for clips, the search features are amazing. So you could just type in and search and find those things by your keywords. If you're looking for an in-person worker who will meet up with you for physical services, a lot of times, surprisingly enough, it's our ad services, our ad platforms are dwindling and are not ideal. But if I was looking for a dominatrix in like St. Louis, Missouri, I would just type literally type in dominatrix St. Louis, Missouri, because different ad platforms have different popularity in different parts of the world. Hmm. And so if you know, one thing pops up that says, Oh, private delights has a BDSM section. And whereas on the East coast, Trist is a little better for that or whatever. So you just look for what's popular in your area. You would go through, you would see one that strikes your fancy. I would check their social media. A lot of times uh, sex workers will have social media accounts an Instagram, a Twitter, a fat life. Sometimes when you're getting into the more fetishy stuff mm. and see how they basically see how they act on the internet. If they have clips, you can watch their clips to see if they're a good fit. I can't tell you how many times I've followed somebody on Twitter and never seen any of their clips. And then when I met them in person, I was astonished because their voice sounded nothing like I imagined they would sound like, (laughs) or they were super giggly or they were much taller or they had weird uh, gestures with their hands, like just like I'm doing right now. And so it just kind of startled me. And, but it's cool because you really get to see somebody's personality through their social media. You see what they are really into, what their funny moments are, and it helps you get to know. I would say that the clients that find me through my Twitter have a much better sense of who I am. And I also know that our sense of humor is going to click really, really well because they read all of my shit posting. They go, that's the person I want to book. And so we get along famously from the get go. And if you really look at who your provider is and what they're doing, you can see if you think you'll be a good match. Mm, I love that. Can I ask some questions about kind of like get getting a little practical, right? So someone is listening and they're like, I am interested in this, but I don't even know how to do a self-assessment. Like what questions should I be asking myself? And then what kind of questions should I be asking someone else to see if there's that match? Can you explore that a little bit? Like what are some things that people can do to really unpack I know that I'm saying that I want this, but really, I actually want this. <laughs> like, right? like, like, what is the work that needs to happen to get to that place? And then kind of part B is, what are the types of questions and conversations that somebody should be having to, to find the right match? So uh, self-inventory, I like to normally start with past experiences, things that I have liked in porn or with past sexual partners. And instead of saying, oh, I like this particular activity... I like to look at, especially in a BDSM context, I like to look at how did this activity make me feel? Mm. So in the context of BDSM, it's like, do I want to feel overwhelmed? Do I want to feel degraded? Do I want to feel humiliated? Do I want to feel lifted up? Do I want to feel powerful? Any of those things, do I want to feel cherished and held? It Looking at not, not necessarily the activity, mm. but the feeling is a really, really good way to identify what your sort of core values are when it comes to a sexual encounter with a professional and what your sort of like needs are, wants are. I like to, in in sessions, I like to say, you know, hard limits, soft limits, absolutely, you know, never in a million years. And then, but I also like to say, you know, what are some things that you absolutely, definitely 100% want? What are some things you'd like to try? And what are some things that you know, maybe in a million years, we're definitely not going to do it in the session, but we can work towards. And it sort of provides an overarching picture of like, where this train is going and, 
you know, what stops we need to make along the way. Because in my classes, I teach a lot about using that feeling method to discover new kinks that you might or might not have. And so, for example, when it comes to golden showers, which is my specialty, I always, there's five different, approximately five different feelings that come from that sort of thing. So maybe it's more of a worshipful thing, or maybe it's more of a degradation thing. And if you go down the worshipful route, there's going to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of other kinks for you that are not the kinks that somebody who's more into degradation would be. So just Mm. doing that feelings inventory. I also find that people who are not in therapy or not in a 12-step program or have not done a lot of the emotional work might not even have the words to describe their feelings because mm. as children, we're not encouraged to, especially male children, are they're not encouraged to share their feelings. So things start to bubble up as like just bad rather than overwhelmed or vulnerable or irritated or whatever. It's just either yes or no. It's very, very binary. And that's, uh, it's unfair to our children, first of all, that we're doing that, but also people, it's not, it doesn't come very naturally to a lot of people. So it does take some work to even just identify your own fucking feelings. And it's hard sometimes if none of this is easy. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's why actually working with a pro helps because I think there's like so much that you can learn from that experience about yourself and working with a pro like you who's got experience across multiple people can actually help you navigate. Maybe you don't know, maybe you start by not knowing and you can trial and error and sort of choose your adventure and eventually you actually will get to know yourself better as well. So that's kind of, that's kind of really, really interesting. Absolutely. And that's the best thing about hiring a sex worker is that you can negotiate. Whereas in a scene with a a romantic partner or a, you know, a tender date or whatever, you may feel this need, this kind of overwhelming need to please the other person. Or, I mean, obviously you should want to meet somebody else's needs, but uh, with a sex worker, there's little to no expectation that I am going to come from this encounter. And while you might want to please me or do a good job for me, it's, I'm not going to be mad or irritated or storm out of your house and call an Uber at four o'clock in the morning. Like that's not going to happen because you're going to check in with me. We have safe words and we can, you can safe word and we can pivot and do something totally different. And it's not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not going to feel bad. I'm not going to say, Oh, but just a few more seconds. I'm almost there. There's none of that with me. Like the money is my orgasm and you know, we're all meeting each other's needs here. I want to make sure that this is really fun for you. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that. So this is great, right? So we, the, what I'm hearing from you is kind of need to do a self inventory. You, the easiest way to do it is to follow your feelings. I say easy, but you know, <laughs> a good way to do that is to follow your feelings and sort of articulate your experiences through feelings. And hopefully then you can find different activities to match those feelings and to kind of delve deeper and, and go on a wonderful adventure. What, are, what kind of questions should you ask um, a provider to make sure that they're the right person for you and that they can take you, they, they can honestly t- take you and also be with you in that, in that uh, adventure, in that journey. And also, uh, and a part B to that is what you, what should you be prepared to share as well? Like what, what should you be telling them um, as well? So it's made it a little bit difficult to send an email to a provider, say you're looking for like a kink provider who offers something that is illegal in their area, like strap-on services, 
uh, or you are contacting a full service provider, which here in the United States is illegal in everywhere except for Reno. And so it's considered not just like rude and distasteful, but also sometimes dangerous to send an email to somebody saying, you know, hey, can I fuck you in the butt or can you fuck me in the butt? Like that's, you know, something you might ask a Tinder date, but not something you can ask a sex worker because you put their email at risk. Like Sesta Fosta has made us quite a, a risk of losing our email accounts, our bank accounts or whatever, because they suspect that we are somehow trafficking ourselves. So it's, it can be a little bit of a dance at times. It's not easy. One thing that is really, really good, the best way to really see if you vibe with a provider is to just talk to them. Most of us, almost all of us, in fact, will be happy to arrange a phone call, a extended texting session. It, you know, it charges a little bit of money, but it's, you know, we don't, some people will offer five or 10 minutes on the phone to make sure that, you know, you're a real person or they're a real person or whatever, but it does sometimes cost money. So if you've looked at somebody's social media, if you've looked at their website, if you've looked at their ads, you think that they're cool. You say, Hey, do you offer phone sessions? Do you offer paid phone plans? Maybe they have a night flirt. Uh, night flirt is a phone sex service. Do you have a night flirt number? Um, that I can throw some money your way and throw a little tip your way and see if we really, really vibe. And so that's a thing. Also, screening. When you talk to a provider for the first time, since some of the activities that we offer are illegal and some of the things that you're asking for are illegal, it's really important to make sure that we know that you're not a cop because there are still raids, there are still stings, there are still you know people who vice squads who roll around the country brutalizing sex workers at all times. They answer their ads pretending to be a client and instead they roll in, rob them, beat them up and then send them to jail. And that's not okay. Like that is not okay. And so you need to prove to me that you are not a cop. And a lot of this is done by screening. Some people do it differently. For example, I rely on references from past providers. So if you want to book a session with me, I need the the email addresses and websites of two dominatrixes you've seen in the past few years. Whereas other people may require a driver's license, a LinkedIn profile, basically proof that your name is what you say it is and that you're not a cop. Sometimes we get a little bit of pushback from people, but I promise you that like, I have zero interest, zero interest whatsoever in blackmailing my clients because if I blackmail my clients, like, I mean, I'm the one doing the illegal shit here, right? Like that's, I am the one at risk, but I'm also not willing to risk my safety just so that I can expose Bob the plumber because like, trust me, page six is not interested in paying lots of money for photos of Bob the plumber with like stuff in his (laughs) ass dressed up you know, with the wig and, you know, the whole thing. Page six is not interested in that. Bob, the plumber, the plumber pays more uh, than page six would for those photos. So I'm interested in keeping Bob as a client. I'm not interested in blackmailing anybody. And so what I think people fail to understand, they get really shaky about this. Sometimes it's like, what are you going to do with my information? I may have a partner who doesn't know, or I may work in this. I have a, I had a, had a client who worked in a high school and he was so terrified that I like somehow any of this would be traced back to him because he works with kids. And that's a valid concern in a lot of places. But it's so insane too, because they don't what they don't realize is that I can get at best arrested and at worst murdered, raped, mutilated. And when the worst that can happen to them is like they're a little bit embarrassed about their proclivities. So mm. it's just really 
what's the old saying? Like men will are worried that women will laugh at them and women are worried that men will kill them. Like that's, that rings true, <laughs> especially in, uh, yeah. when it comes to sex work. So yeah, no, this is a, this is actually really great information. I don't even know if this information is out there anywhere. It's like, you know, I do tell my clients about potentially considering sex work and, you know, they, they just have a blank, blank face because like they just, this information isn't out there. So this is, this is super, super, super interesting and super informative. Shayla, I have a question for you. So we talked a little bit about Sesta Foster and the intense censoring on mainstream social media platform, as we know. So you talked about how we can go about finding a sex worker through chats and Googling. I'm curious, obviously you love your job, right? You love your job. You love your clients. You choose it every day. You know, the money works for you. You love engaging with, with your clients and, and sort of exploring their, their kings. At the same time, there are people um, in the industry that are trafficked, that are co- coerced. So how, how do people find providers like you and not support the sort of the trafficking or the coercion within the industry? I think it's a pretty complicated question because you can never truly know. Uh, when I worked in strip clubs many, many years ago, I worked with a woman who loved her job. She loved her job and she loved being on stage. She loved talking to people. She loved being naked. She was very much an exhibitionist, but she still had a partner at home who took all of her money and, you know, forced her to go to work on days. Like she had a broken wrist at one point and he, he was like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna break the other one if you don't go to work. So this is a woman who was consensually doing sex work and yet she still had what most people would consider a pimp. And so you, I mean, I hate to say you can never really know, but you can limit you can limit that sort of thing. If you're the provider you're looking at has uh, a website is normally a good start. Agencies are, it's tricky. A lot of times if you Google, uh, for example, if I was going to find a full service worker, I would just Google escorts Brooklyn. And the first couple of pages that would pop up in Google would be agencies. And agencies are pretty, some of them are very, very good. And some of them are very, very bad. And a lot of them are kind of notorious for pretty terrible working conditions, dangerous clients, dangerous management. I worked for a commercial dungeon that had dangerous clients and it was essentially an agency. There were dangerous clients and there were dangerous girls. And they're at, you know, on a good day, the worst thing that would happen to me was the egregious labor law violations. And I still wanted to be there, right? I still wanted to be there. I was still happy to be making money, but it's very, very difficult. It's really important that you see that your provider has full control over their social media, over their website, over their ads. While an agency may look pretty reputable because they have, you know, 15 people on staff and they talk a big talk, most of the time an agency is not great. Most of the time. There are exceptions to the rule, but if it's your first time seeing a sex worker, it's really important, I think, that you go the independent route. You look at where these people exist on the internet. Traffickers typically don't really care about the brand, uh, whereas independent sex workers care very deeply about their brands. Mm. Um so it's, you know, you walk a fine line because you can't just ask somebody like, are you here consensually? Like, it's not like the kink.com videos where they have the little intro. They're just like, oh, I'm so happy to get railed today. <laughs> it's not that simple. And it is, uh, this is a direct result of SASTA FOSTA. I mean, it was like that before, but to an extreme now, um, because what it has done is it has made traffickers harder to find. It has pushed mm-hmm. um, a lot of people who were working 
before SESTA-FOSTA had passed, they were able to advertise, they were able to coordinate their own schedules, they were able to screen clients, they were able to negotiate certain rates for certain things. Those people after SESTA-FOSTA happened and after Backpage came down, they've lost their only source of advertising. They've lost their only source of being able to find the work that they need and be able to work safely under conditions that they themselves set. So they're forced right back into the arms of you know, trappers, pimps, street corners, massage parlors, the things like that. Um, and it's really places that when I was working at the at the dungeon was when Sesta Fosta passed. And it was very, very scary for me to branch out because I thought, what if I can't advertise? What if I can't make money? I'll be forced to go back to these awful, awful and dangerous working conditions. Mm-hmm. And luckily it was fine. It ended up being okay. But for someone who's not super tech savvy, it can be very difficult and very daunting. I can imagine. I mean, and, and so much of the stories that we're hearing, exactly what you're describing of of the impact of it, that exactly the the what what apparently Sesta Foster was supposed to be avoiding is the thing that they are creating yeah. in, in terms of creating just much more secrecy. And I think as you're talking, it, it's making me think that that one of the misconceptions that exists about sex workers and sex work is that f- most folks are trafficked or there's a lot of conver- co- uh, coercion or things like that. I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the other misconceptions that exist around sex work and sex workers. There's a, Oh, there's so many, there are so many. (laughs) There's the myth that like, we're all trafficked and that we all have pimps. Um, There's myths that we're all like what's called survival sex workers, where we're all uh, drug addicted streetwalkers. or there's the the misconception that we're dirty somehow. I really Mm. hate the term dirty for someone with, a sexually transmitted infection because it's not necessarily about dirty or clean. It's just like positive or negative. Like that's really all it is. Mm. So, and if anything, full service workers, really any sort of sex worker is probably way, way, that gets tested way, 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 way more frequently than anybody in mm-hmm. a committed relationship. Also, it's very, very important. Like condom usage is so big. Like I know there's one woman who does full service work who just kind of snoops around and is like, is this, is this a bump? Is this, is this skin cancer? Is this herpes? Like what, what are we looking at here? And so sex workers are so, I hate to say anal, but I feel like that's appropriate. They're so anal about (laughs) their own sexual health because your client base gets a lot smaller if you have Mm if you are have just like a wildfire landscape of herp all over your junk, it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a fetish for that. There's a niche. Um, You can absolutely still be a sex worker. Another myth that I really hate is that we're going to somehow rob you. Like if we show up to your hotel room or we're going to blackmail you, if we have your information and don't get me wrong, there are absolutely, there's risks with inviting a stranger into your hotel room. There are risks with showing up to somebody's house but I would say you're just as likely to get robbed by a full service worker as you are a Tinder date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So especially, especially if you like go through the reputable channels, there's a big thing right now since online work has become so popular, there has been a lot of talk on, especially online about baby doms or beginner doms approaching somebody asking for tribute and then running away And which, you know, which happens, right? Like low risk, low reward, that sort of thing. But when someone has been scammed repeatedly, it makes me wonder, like if one person scams you, they're an asshole. If everyone scams you, then 
maybe you should be a little more aware of your surroundings or Mm -hmm. do a little more research. And I don't want to say it's not your fault because it is like if you this is if you're sending money to a stranger. It's something that you maybe need to do a little more. I'm not going to call you asking for Apple gift cards as tribute. Like that's not going to, not going to happen. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. I love all busting all these myths and talking through these misconceptions, because like you said, there are so many, there are, there are so many of them. Um, and I think one that I uh, want to add in there, because I know you do a lot of this is that uh, the education piece that sex workers don't only just, sort of provide sex services, but um, I know a ton of them do really good educational stuff and you're one of them. Yes. Uh, Do you think you can tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So uh, sex workers are literally professional, sexy people. And so Mm -hmm. we're often, and a lot of times we specialize in some particular niche and especially like dominatrixes and BDSM workers have a lot of insight as to why somebody would like a particular activity. For example, I teach a monthly water sports workshop. It's part lecture, part piss bang, which is really, really fun. And (laughs) so, and I go into great detail about the psychology of why somebody would enjoy this particular activity, ways to incorporate this activity into, you know, other things that are maybe a little less intense than getting peed on different spins to put on it, uh, demonstrations. I do a huge, dem- huge demonstration of uh, what a piss bang looks like. And then, you know, talking about like those safety risks and the alternatives. Um, if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable with whatever safety risk is happening. And I have put together this class because I have done this for so many years. I've had conversations for so many years with clients like, Hey, by the way, like what? What makes you into this from reading their emails, from talking to other professional doms about like their ideas and you know what their experiences have been. And this is what we do. Like pro doms especially, but also quite a few full service workers and you know, like massage workers and phone sex operators, like across the spectrum, we are so good at identifying like why somebody's into something. And the best possible way to do it, because what 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 is it like? Ten thousand hours makes you an expert at something. We've probably done that. We, <laughs> like, I mean, even the most devoted golden shower, like monogamous couple, has done nowhere near as many golden showers <laughs> as I have in my entire life. Which is fine, you know, it's fine. It's not about quantity; it's about quality. But that's what makes us really good educators, mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. since COVID happened and in person work was so limited. Mm-hmm. I saw, I definitely saw more, more people teaching classes online than ever, ever, ever before. And especially people who had never taught before, they were like, fuck it. I'm at home. I'm bored. Let's go into a deep dive of why this particular kink or why this particular technique works really well. Let's talk about it. And it's really, really, it's been a really cool and booming time for sex education this past year because people are kind of getting in touch with themselves and they're spending a lot of time at home with a, sometimes with a significant other, sometimes with multiple significant others. And it puts a lot of stress on things in the bedroom. And so taking a class, trying something totally new is really, really cool and really, really fun. And, you know, they're taught by the best in the business. Truly. So because sex educators who have not engaged in commercial sex work before are great and are very, very good at what they do. But 
nobody can really get into the nitty gritty quite like somebody who's sort of been in the trenches, so to say. I appreciate you saying that and normalizing it because I do think that there is a myth, particularly in the US, right? We have this like weird puritanical, but also sexual environment where like, we're not supposed to do anything until we're in our monogamous relationship or married. And then somehow we're also then supposed to be sexual experts. So like no experience, no practice, not even on yourself. Don't do it. But then the very first time you have sex, like you should really rock that experience. And there's no way, like, how do we know anything is we, someone teaches us (laughs) is that we learn and that we practice. And so yes, like the nerdy side of me wants to take all of the classes. I remember many, many years ago before Effie and I started working together, Effie wrote a book called uh, play party etiquette. And I remember doing an online like workshop and there was a PowerPoint and there were handouts. (laughs) And I was so thoroughly amused by the fact that I was like learning about play parties she was going through the PowerPoint presentation and like writing in my handouts, but that totally fed me. I was like, yes, I want to approach this learning. Like I would approach all of my learning. I want to be in a class. I want to take notes. I want to see examples. I want to ask questions to the teacher, like yes to all of those things. And so I appreciate you creating space where we can take away the shame from that. I will absolutely be looking up your courses and we'll be (laughs) signing up for things because there are many things that I want to learn and get better at. So yeah, just just sitting in appreciation for the the, the normalization and the, the de-shaming work that you're doing there. And also one thing that I had forgotten to mention earlier, but sex workers also a lot of times will do a one-on-one. One time I was a, uh, a stunt, it's not a stunt cock, it's a stunt vulva. I was a stunt vulva for a one-on-one coaching class. This guy was in a committed relationship with a with a, a woman and he realize and I mean to speak on your point are on you know don't do this but then be an expert at it he was terrible at eating pussy he was terrible at it absolutely awful and so a good girlfriend of mine Lola Jean who does quite a few like sort of driver's manuals for vulva classes did a one-on-one coaching session with him of course it was going to be difficult for her to get eaten out while she also walked him through the motion so she had me there and with her coaching, he was doing a good job. He was putting in the work, uh, which I love, but that sort of one-on-one coaching is something that most sex workers can and will do enthusiastically do for you without any shame. It's like, uh, maybe a little to the left or, you know, maybe a little bit more forceful or maybe a little bit less forceful. And, uh, which is, it's super fun. That's super fun. That's huge. Like you just don't get that kind of information anywhere else, that kind of experience anywhere else. It's so good. And I believe you can do that with your partner as well. Like, I think people think of sex work as like this individual experience that you, you know, shame, like you're ashamed about that you do in secrecy. You don't tell your partner. If you do, it's, you know, very, very hush hush and they're upset and devastated. Actually, this could be very much a sort of partnered experience, you know, one or two partners. And if you can negotiate with a sex worker who can be kind of a one-on-one educator and you can all kind of have, educational playtime have fun learn and and make it a a sort of a a, almost like a fun date night together oh yeah oh god i love i love couples now different sex workers have different policies on couples most of us go the yes enthusiastically route when i was back when i was a stripper many years ago i uh i loved couples i loved couples because they were so fun and they always spent a lot of money and i could create that sexual fantasy for them and, but they were also both on their best behavior. So nobody was trying to grope me because they didn't want to get in trouble <laughs> yes. with my partner, which was great. 
I was like, we're going to have a great time together and then you're going to go home and fuck each other. And I remain this perfect, you know, sort of sexual Kindle for the fire that you created at Mm. home, which was really, really fun. I also uh, find that couples are, it's, it's one or the other, you know, sometimes one person is more in like into it and more excited about it. And that's always a hard dynamic to navigate because you don't want to upset one or both partners by reading the situation wrong. But most of us are pretty good with people and all of us are really, really good with consent and boundaries. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll talk to each partner separately at the beginning of a booking and say, you know, what are your boundaries? What are your hard limits? That sort of thing. Like whatever you say is safe with me. Like I I got paid up front, so it doesn't fucking matter what happens the next two hours. Like I want to be respect your boundaries and like explore what you really want out of this. Most of the time they match up. Most of the time their answers are the same. Sometimes I'll get a little bit more out of, or a little bit of hesitancy out of one person be like, okay, but I don't feel good about you touching my girlfriend's boobs or whatever, something like that. I don't feel, you know, this particular hole is only for my uh, monogamous partner, maybe condoms with one, no condoms with the other. Like that's all, whatever your boundaries are, they can and will be respected. But it's really fun because managing the energy of two different people. It's very, very dynamic. It changes all the time. It's like, also the more people, this may just be the exhibitionist in me talking, but the more people that are in the room, the energy just gets exponentially like larger and sillier and much more intense. And so a group scene is always just bonkers out of control. And I I can't get enough of them. I love them so much. (laughs) (laughs) love that love that Shayla we can speak to you forever this is such good information I know that people are listening I just know they haven't heard this stuff before uh, because I get these questions all the time and frankly I didn't know half of this stuff and this was this is a genuine this was a genuine like following our curiosity finding someone who has the answers and um, you've just been so eloquently explaining how to go about this so yeah super super interesting yeah. And, and let me note too, that, you know, if you're listening to this, you're like, wow, this is really interesting, but there you having feelings about it. You're having feelings in yourself of like, oh, should I be curious? Should I not? I was sharing with Shayla that the most popular blog post that we have on the Curious Fox platform is the one about dating a sex worker. And so by far, there's so much curiosity here and there's so much interest in wanting to explore this. And so just consider this your, your shame-free invitation. And we will share all of Shayla's, Ms. Shayla's uh, information at the end around how you can access classes and social media and, and bookings and all of those things. But before we let you go, we want to ask you four questions just to get to know you a little bit more. And so four rapid fire questions, just whatever comes to your mind. The first one is, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self about love, sex, or relationships? Stop giving a shit about literally everything. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. Truly, it doesn't. It only matters what you think about yourself. And if you cannot be kind and loving to yourself, then no one is able to be kind. You're never going to be able to receive kindness and love from somebody else. So, you know, yeah. suck it up, buttercup, invest mm. in Bitcoin mm. and um, stop fucking people off the internet. <laughs> <laughs> great advice. Great, great advice. I love that. I love that. Okay. Um, what is one romantic or sexual adventure on your bucket list? Ooh, on my bucket list. Fucking in public. 
I feel like it's been, mm. I don't really, I love this. Like I have had sex at sex parties. I have, you know, had sex in an alleyway. Like, but I, I feel like this could never happen. But what I really want is just like fuck on the steps in Times Square. Like, you know, with the sunlight and all the people. And I mean, it'd be filthy as fuck and I could never, ever do it. There's way too many children, but that is like a dream and that mm-hmm. will never come to fruition. Also joining the mile high club. But I think my fantasies around that revolve more around like flying in one of those fly flat, like lay flat pods in first class. Yes. I yes. Think it, not the bathroom. Not the bathroom. I think <laughs> yeah. I get more wet about the idea of like being in first class than fucking in first class. <laughs> <laughs> you can chalk it up there. Just that's, that's. Totally. It's like, I'm in first class. I might as well fucking first class. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I'm here. Yeah. You're here. Oh, you're here. It's you close the curtain. It's fine. Right. You're going to get a hot towelette afterwards. Right. I'll be cleaning up. They, they're yeah, basically yeah. want you to do that. <laughs> so this question, this, the answer to this question, I think feels self-evident, but I will ask anyway, Michelle, how do you challenge the status quo? Existing. I exist. <laughs> I also really like to... I, I like to get into the the weird details of the stuff that is shameful and the stuff that is uncomfortable for a lot of people and then turn them into like hilarious classes. For example, one of my niches is hard sports, which is like pooping on people or around people or like into their mouth. And I talk about that. Sometimes I talk about that at brunch with my like Dom sisters and they uh, table 12 gets really upset about it. But I really like to talk about things that are so truly shameful, like deeply shameful and bring them to the surface because it's, I mean, for fun and, and profit, but also if you can't laugh at it, um, you'll, it will always be something shameful and something that's weighing you down. Here, here. Yeah. Yeah. I like that laughter as an antidote to shame. Yes, please. Okay. Last, but definitely not the least. What are you curious about lately? Ooh, what am I curious about lately? I took a really amazing class. Tara Indiana taught, I just got back from DomCon in Los Angeles and Tara Indiana, who is a uh, dominate, kind of semi-retired dominatrix, but full-time kink educator, did an incredible class on the neurology of the kinky brain and how people who are deeply, deeply kinky, or even just a little bit kinky, people who eroticize things like fear and trauma and pain, uh, how the neural pathways are different compared to somebody who's very, very, very vanilla. And I am really interested in, in that and mm. kind of figuring out where that comes from and like the science behind that. She did a great job explaining a lot of things, but I just uh, bought a couple of books. I just bought one just got released called Hurts So Good. I'm blanking on the mm. name of the author, but it's about the science of pain on purpose. So like, why do people mm. like to get thanked? Why do people like to eroticize like deep, painful stuff? So I'm trying mm. to, I just want to understand my clients better and their needs better. And I also want to understand my own needs better because I really love, mm. I really love punching people in the balls. And I think it's mm. funny. And I think it, it like gets me up in the morning and I want to know why I do that. Mm-hmm. So we just want to, we want to get better at this. <laughs> 
I love that. My eyes just got bigger. I was just gonna say I saw physically Evie's <laughs> eyes. That was exactly what I was gonna say. Evie was like, the neurology of what? I could see the like joy and curiosity like happen live in front of me. Yeah. I was like, I wanna hear that presentation. What? Where is this thing? <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating. Um, for sure. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm like the next as soon as we we uh, finish this this recording, I'm gonna be like looking this up immediately so <laughs> thank you so much yeah, it's good. amazing amazing uh thank you thank you for thank you for joining us thanks for having me so i did not expect my heart and my head to be activated <laughs> in this in this conversation i think that certainly my heart was activated by this idea of what do i want to feel in a particular scenario. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's those moments when people say something and you're like, Oh, of course, Mm -hmm. but it did not occur to me then. I think before that I thought about sex play and experiencing kind of play kink intimacy in thinking about, Oh, I want to try this thing with this Mm -hmm. person in this way. And I loved that she suggested, don't think about the thing you want to do. Think about how you want to feel. And then if you're working with a professional, tell them how you want to feel. And then they're going to help you get, (laughs) they'll figure out what the thing is that's going to get you there. It's like, um, (laughs) it's like going to a, a really good a cocktail bar and um, telling the the yes. mixologist what is it that you want? Like I want something sour, right. like a tanginess to yeah. it, maybe with like a bit of an afterbite that warms my yes. heart. And they're gonna make you something yes. that's gonna feel exactly right. So um, that's what it sounded like to me. Yes, yes, yes. So I want a little bit of possessiveness, but like with a mix of like humiliation. Mm-hmm. But then with the you know a a, a flavor up like I can, I can see exactly. picturing kind of describing yeah. that and then getting a menu of options so anyway so my heart was activated there I think my head was activated with all of this like nerdy goodness I need to absolutely now go read the book hurts so good the science of culture and pain on purpose by Leah Coward I think that sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. And then Tara Indiana and the science of SM, neurology of the kinky brain. What? what? I need to go find that now. I need to yeah. find it. I need to listen to it or watch mm-hmm. it. So lots of head and heart activation in this conversation for me. Yeah. I mean, I love Miss Shayla. I find her so much fun while informative, while just her tone and approach to the topics that she talks about really like makes my heart sing because she just doesn't skip a beat like she goes from golden showers to scat to neurology of kink and this sort of same fun tone that you just like yep it's all okay it's all fun let's all talk about it in detail so i mean i i love chatting to her i love chatting to her about her work and also just how informative she was on um, how to find someone, like how to find um, a sex worker to work with. And all super practical, super important information that you just don't get anywhere else. So I loved I loved her. I love her in general and I loved her. The thing that I was thinking as I was listening to her and as, I, as we were talking about this is for those... Because I work with people in relationships or people are looking for relationships. So that's kind of where my head goes a lot. And I was imagining... Either somebody telling their partner that that they want to see a sex worker or they were telling their partner maybe they might want to consider a sex worker 
or the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody saying to you, you know, a partner saying you that they want to go and see a sex worker. What would that be like, right? What are some of the what are some of the ways that that conversation can go well that people aren't hurt? So that's kind of what I was thinking, and some of the things that I could that I would advise that I would suggest is if you're the person that is asking that they're suggesting that that they want to they might want to go to a sex worker or suggesting that their partner might go to a sex worker i would say introduce the topic in a big way so instead of saying the specifics like i want to see a sex worker about this this weekend um keep it general uh, maybe give them this podcast you know mm-hmm. and just explore their feelings in general, explore their feelings in general about sex work, about what it might be, maybe explore their, some of the misconceptions, what they believe about sex work, what they know about sex work, and kind of go take that more big picture conversation stuff before you drill down into, I want to do this with this person at this time, um, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's a good place to start. So it's depersonalized. So this way, at the first thought when you when you start to talk about it is not to hopefully bring up the insecurities about the relationship or about the about the other person, but instead you're just talking about it generally. Let's just test the waters. Let's yes. see how people feel. Exactly. That's definitely a good start. And also get clear about your why. Um, I think that uh, people don't um, explore their why, they express their why because they think they're going to hurt the other person. What I have observed from working with people is that the ambiguity is more hurtful and confusing and it leaves room for people to imagine the worst. The clearer you are, the easier the conversation and I think people get less hurt. So get clear about why you want to see a sex worker, you know, whatever the, the, the reason is. And there are many that you want to explore something specific. It could be that you have a mismatch of libidos and you want to, you know, have more sex and, and you don't want to constantly pressure your your partner to have more sex, whatever your reason is, get clear and be willing to articulate it. And it also sounded like based on the advice of Ms. Shayla, not only get clear of your why, but get clear on what kind of working relationship would actually help impact and and bring you joy and delight in the way that you, that is motivating your why, right? So not everyone is going to want to work with a full service worker. Instead, for example, I didn't even know that sexting was a thing that you can engage someone to do. That could be a fun way to Mm -hmm. spice up your evening instead of a TikTok or Instagram crawl, right? So like, are there things that can actually give you the jolt that you're looking for and meet the need that are in the spectrum of engaging a professional that doesn't necessarily mean full service sex worker? Absolutely. And also be willing to meet your partner where they're at and address their concerns without being dismissive or defensive. So if they are worried about, if they have health concerns, okay, sit down and think, you know, their legitimate concerns. Educate yourself and figure out what would make them feel safe, right? So do they need to see a STI result results or whatever that, that you decide on barriers or all that kind of stuff? So whatever their concerns are, meet them where they're at. Don't dismiss them. Don't be defensive. Just talk through and see if you can problem solve whatever their concerns are, and be creative and be generous and be open-minded is what I would say. So what about if you are the person being asked? <laughs> That's funny. We talked about this, right? Let's, let's, let's be um, open with our audience. So we talked about this. It's hard. I 
would be elated. I would be actually, I would be curious is where I would land. <laughs> I'd be like, uh-huh. Ooh, you want to see a sex worker? Tell me more. Like, that's what would happen with me. Mm-hmm. I know that you asked um, your partner and it had a diff- you had a different result. Yes. Immediately. She was like, what? No. Huh? What? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, hypothetical, hypothetical. And she's like, no, I don't even like it in hypothetical. Yeah. I think, I think I'd be somewhere in the middle. I think I would be curious slash like my radar would go up. Is something wrong? Is this about me? Is this about us? Like I would certainly have to navigate those things, but I think that in dialogue, I can get to the other side of it. So you could be on somewhere in that spectrum. You could be where Effie is and like, that sounds great. Amazing. Let me buy it for you. It's my treat to all the way to my partner who's like, huh? What? Absolutely not. What did you say? No, I'm not interested. Which actually the conversation about engaging someone together Mm-hmm. was there was certainly openness to that mm-hmm. me on my own not so much so that was that's an interesting conversation mm-hmm. then to be able to follow up and explore i mean i think there's a couple of things right i do think that sometimes it might actually be a relief for people right i think if there is some sort of sexual dysfunction or misalignment or you know dissatisfaction all parties will be aware of this right so sometimes if you bring this up with your partner or somebody brings that you, there might be relief. And I just want to say, that's okay. Like if your partner says, listen, I want to see a sex worker and you feel relief, that's okay. Um, I think that might actually be a difficult feeling for, for someone to feel relief about something that is so stigmatized. So I just want to name that. Like if you feel relief, that's okay. If you don't feel relief and you're alarmed and you're sort of activated and you're wondering like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with our relationship? What's missing? What all the things... My suggestion to you is try, 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 try really hard, make your best effort not to take it personally. The chances are it's not really about you. It's about your partner and what they want to explore. So it's hard. It's so easy to go to the places where you're like, I'm not enough. What have I done? What is it that they want? Um, Go to those places. I would recommend do your very best to not take it personally. If you can my recommendation is to approach with a gentle curiosity. You don't have to be as keen as I am. It's just one of those things. I would just get super curious and super keen and I would want to know why they're doing it and what they want to do and who they want to see and what it's going to be like. And can I get an update at the end? Like, that's just going to be my take. You don't have to be, you don't have to be that keen and, and curious, but you can approach with a gentle curiosity to get to a place of understanding and mutuality. Ask them what it's about See if you can get, see if they can meet you where you're at, express how you feel and explore the topic together is what I would say. Another way I think a pathway to it is through classes. I mean, that was something that was really interesting of like, why not go to a class together, educate yourself, educate the both of you. Why don't you, or with your partnership, with your group, with your triad, like make it a spicy, fun date night, make it a nerdy, sexy play night. Like it does feel like that is another way to at least start to dip your toe into the waters is to leverage the expertise of professionals, even if it doesn't mean engaging them directly, either one-on-one with or within your relationships. Absolutely. If you wanted to go salsa dancing and you and your partner found a private teacher and you hung out for a couple of sessions, mm. learning, you know, learning your steps, this might not be that different. You would hang out with a pro who knows what they're doing, show you some moves, and it might be a really fun pastime. And we don't want to underestimate 
how hard these conversations could be and all of the emotions and insecurities that can surface as a result. So consider working with a therapist or coach to help you explore these conversations with your partner. You can find Miss Shayla on Instagram and Twitter at YesMissShayla and on her website, yesmissshayla.wordpress.com, where you can book a session or attend a class. While you're online, check us out, Instagram, Facebook, on Patreon, at We Are Curious Foxes. You can also find us at our website, wearecuriousfoxes.com. On our website, via Patreon, you can get access to old videos from our workshops and blog posts and so much more. If you want to support this show and want to support the work that we're doing, then we encourage you to go onto Patreon, to like and follow and share and rate this podcast, and to let us know what you're thinking about. You can reach out to us by emailing us or sending us a voice memo at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com, or you can record a question for the show at calling us at 201-870-0063. This episode is produced and edited by Nina Pollock, who's a pro lady we love. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. We are so grateful for their work. And we're grateful to you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind. And we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.